Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. It's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord this morning, and I want you to enjoy His presence, enjoy His Word this morning, partake in our Connect Fair and fellowship and love one another. But let's remember what this is all about. It's all about serving a precious Savior. Amen. While I've got you standing there, I'm just going to read one quick passage from the Word of God, and I'll have you be seated. In Revelation chapter 20, starting at verse 12, and I'm going to skip to verse 15, it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Isn't it amazing? We were just talking about standing before Him in the throne room. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And whosoever, in verse 15 it says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This morning I want to talk to you about the precious, wonderful, glorious, amazing, incredible, bountiful blessing it is to be able to have our names written in the book of life. You can be seated this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's an ominous passage to read. It gives a picture of a time, perhaps after the rapture of the church, when God has called them home. It says that the dead will be judged out of those things were written in the books according to their works. There's a prevailing theme throughout Christendom in the United States today that says that those people that say that there's extra things that God calls for, obediences that God calls for in His Word, those are works and works of of righteousness, and that's not how we're saved. But there's a word in the Revelation, there's a word depicting a time when people will stand before God Almighty and the books, all 66 of them will be opened up before people. And there'll be another book sitting right beside it. And that book is going to be called the book of life. And there's a time when people will answer for yes, indeed, their works. Yes, their works. The book of Titus in chapter 3 says that not by works of righteousness, which we've already done, works of righteousness are things that are called for in the Word of God, good things, treating people right, all the things we're called to do in the fruit of the Spirit, and all of those things as Christian nature that we're supposed to uphold. It's not by those works of righteousness that we're saved, but by the regeneration of the Holy Ghost and the application of the water. That's what it says in Titus chapter 3. So this picture depicts this time when we'll stand and this all-important book will be laid before us. The 66 books will be there. Yes, the instruction manual, Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth are going to be laid out before there. Every word of what stands between these two black covers counts and we'll be judged by those things. Well, that's harsh, Pastor. I can't figure that out. So many people don't understand it that way. So many good Christians, so many good people have accepted God, and they've done this, and they've done that. Jesus said in, his, in Matthew chapter 7, many will say unto me in that day, they'll stand before me, and they'll say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done amazing, wonderful things? Haven't we cast out demons in your name? Haven't we done many wonderful works in, in, in your name? And he'll look at him and he'll say, I'm sorry. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity for I knew you not. That tells me 
Unfortunately, there's going to be people that thought they had it right or they knew that they could have gone further. They could have taken it to the next step, but they did not. And while they think they're saved and while they think they're doing all of those great things, they did not know him and he did not know them. What a tragic picture. Perhaps their names then were not written in the book of life. You know, this tradition, this book of life idea came from a time uh, back in those days in the ancient cities when, when cities were constructed. They would literally have a gigantic book, perhaps parchment or whatever they wrote on at that time. And it was a, it was a record of the people that lived there. It was a record of the births and it was a record of deaths. And, it, and if you lived in that city, you were noted. It was a way that they could collect taxes for Rome. It was a way that they, they, they could determine the services that were needed and were required uh, for that city based on the number of people. Guess what? We've got a book of life in the United States today. Anybody know what it's called? Social Security Administration. It is a huge book. And there are some 350 million names in that book right now. Your county has a book of life. When you were born, there's a birth certificate, and your name is registered in that book of life. When you got married, that, that name was written in that book of life. When you had a child, it was written in that book of life. You can go down to Waukesha County Courthouse, Milwaukee County Courthouse, and you can ask to see the book of life, or at least the portion that you're in. Just had to do that recently, call up some, I found out that our marriage certificate was a copy and we needed it for something for insurance. And, and so I had to go to the county and say, I need, I need my certificate from the book of life. And they delivered it to me. There's many examples throughout the word of God. It's not always referred to as the book of life, but it's definitely a theme. It's definitely a significant part of God's plan. Clearly, if at the end, at Revelation 20, just two chapters from the end of the whole thing, we're standing before this particular book, it must be very significant, and it appears significantly throughout the word. Look at Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 19. It says, Behold, I give unto you power. This is Jesus talking to the 70 disciples that went out to minister. He said, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in, in this rejoice, he says in verse 20, not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice. Why? Because your names are written in heaven. Now I'm going to reference back to that point because Jesus was still with the disciples his plan had not been executed yet. The book of Acts was just a distant future concept. Luke hadn't written it yet. They hadn't got to that part yet. The part after Jesus descended and returned to earth in the book of Acts in Jerusalem in the form of the Holy Ghost as he promised them he would do. That hadn't happened yet. How are these disciples' names written in heaven? How did Jesus say that? We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. In Philippians chapter 4 and 3, Paul writes to the, to the church that he established there in the book of Acts. He says, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. You know what yoke fellow are? Brothers and sisters, brethren. So guess what? Y'all are my yoke fellow. I'm going to get a label or something. By the way, I'm not wearing a tie today because I got my colors on today. It's, it's Connect Fair Day today, so it's kinda, I told my wife this morning, it's kind of like spirit week. You know, just, I don't have the hat on yet. 
He said, true yelk fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, a disciple of Paul, and with any other of my fellow laborers whose names are where? In the book of life. So now this is Paul in Philippians after the book of Acts, after the, the churches were established, after the gospel came, and the important pieces were there, and he's talking about the fellow laborers, the yoke fellow, and he says, go help them out. They've done these wonderful works, but they need more, and, and by the way, because they're the people with us, they're the ones whose names are in that book of life. In other words, they're in the group. They're, they're on their way. They're part of the, the, the plan, if you will. Now... There's scripture throughout Revelation that talks about the book of life and the, from the foundation of the world. There's terminology there that's talking about predestinated. He sees, God sees the beginning from the end. And before you think that I'm heading down a pathway to predestination, there is no such thing as predestination in the idea that the world has conveyed it. God knows the beginning from the end. He sees it all. He already knows. Let me establish that right now. That means that there is no one person who is predestined to a certain thing just based on some happenstance. You mean if I'm not one of them, I'm going to hell, Pastor? That's not what I'm saying. He just knows the beginning from the end. Look, I don't have them referenced up here, so you're just going to have to follow me. Revelation 13 and 8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. It's talking about the beast. And it says, whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, we know that the lamb is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's Jesus, right? It was a plan from the very beginning is what that's saying. But listen, look at the 17 and 8 in Revelation. It says, the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition and they that dwell on the earth shall wander. They'll be amazed. Whose names were not written in the book of life, where? From the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now what he's saying there is that there were people whose names were written in the book, it's understood that from the foundation of the world it was known. God knows because he sees the end already. He already knows the people that are going to receive him, that are going to overcome, and their names will be in that book. That is not predestination because God gave us a free will. He's given us a choice. And if you know anything about Sodom and Gomorrah and things that happened there and in Abraham's prayer, you know from Moses, God's mind can be changed. He's a merciful God. He's a kind God. But let's go further with that point because it says in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes to the church he established there in the book of Acts. He says in Ephesians 1, starting at verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in whom before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. There's a, there's a qualifier there. You know, those are works of righteousness being holy and without blame. Keep these things in your mind. If you're writing notes, I would recommend it, but if you're writing notes, keep some of these key words down. These are key words. He says, remember, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. He knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And we know that his will can be modified. His will can be affected. He can be compelled not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah before I go in and find some righteous. He can be compelled by Moses not to exact judgment on the peace, people of Israel at a certain point in time. But let's go into Romans 8 and 30. It says he writes, Paul writes to the church at Rome that he established in the book of Acts. 
At the church at Rome, he writes to them, moreover, whom he did predestinate. Then he also called, this is a beautiful piece of literature here, listen to this now. Whom he did, he's talking about Jesus, predestinate, them he called. And whom he called, then also he justified. And whom he justified, them also he glorified. This is a snapshot of the end picture. Paul is giving them an insight into what's it, when it's all wrapped up and done. He's talking about those he predestinated, he called them, he justified them, and he glorified them. How did he do that? We're going to find out. I've brought this up before, and, and, and this, this needs to be said along with the misgivings of a terminology of predestination. There is no such thing as once saved that you're always saved. I'm sorry. It's just not in Scripture. It's a false doctrine of security. Now, Brother Matson preached an amazing message in his Sunday school lesson uh, two weeks ago, just, or last week, excuse me, it, just, perfect, because it, he talked about this idea that we live in this constant state of, I, I, I'm good with God, and now I'm bad with God, and I sinned, and now I'm, I'm I'm good with God, but I repented. Now I'm bad with God. We don't live a life like that. That's not what that's all about. What it is, and I said this to Brother Matson as we were talking, you know, he was my teacher. He brought me up in the Word of God. You know that, right? Wisdom. I said, it just seems to me that the walk with Christ is, is just taking those steps forward, but we're covered in flesh, and once in a while, we make a mistake and we step backwards, but we're still facing east. We're still facing the morning star. We're still facing our God. Yes, we're covered under the blood. Yes, we don't live a tormented life of constantly being in and out. And you know what? That also means that we're not constantly in and out of the book of life. God doesn't have big eraser. He doesn't write the book of life in pencil. Oh, Cordell, you made a mistake again. We don't jump back and forth between life and death in the book of life and in the book of death. It doesn't work that way. But I'll tell you what, when we're making this stride and we go backwards a couple of times and we keep on going forward, God's sitting there saying, at a boy, at a girl, you just keep on living that life of repentance. You keep on living that life for him. But... Can your name be blotted out of the book of life? Five times in scripture it's referenced that way. When does that happen? The Bible says if you sin willfully, there remains no more sacrifice for you. What does that mean, pastor? Obviously I sinned willfully. When that guy cut me off and I raised up my hand and I flew the flag of righteousness at him, I willfully did that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, if I want to raise the flag of righteousness to the guy that cut me off, ain't no big deal. I can do it. I can do what I, I, can do what I want to. God understands. I'll just repent about it later. That's willful sinning. Your name can be blotted out of the book of life. Look at Exodus chapter 32. should be up here. Exodus 32, starting at verse 32. It says, yet now, this is Moses talking again, yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, he's praying to God, he's talking to God, he says, and if not... Blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Verse 33 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him I will blot out of my book. So yes, it can happen. You can be saved and you can be unsaved. I just don't want to play around with that. I don't want to get involved in that. 
In the book of Psalms, in the 69th Psalm, you don't have to go there, but it says, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. He literally, the psalmist is talking about those that are failing and, and, and hurting God and are turning away from him. Let them be blotted out, he says. In Revelation 22 and 19, it says, and if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Do you know that there are Christian denominations that are rewriting Scripture, taking things out of Scripture, putting things into Scripture that were not there? You can go back and read that one again to let that sink in. But look at the promise that's written in this, in this wonderful prophecy, the promise for being written in the book, the holy city, New Jerusalem, our destination, our goal, right? Is anybody here in this thing just for the Connect Fair? Are you, are you just here because you really, really like to listen to me bellyache and waller up here? Or are you here because there's a destination that we have? There's a place we're trying to get to, doing the right things by God, following his word, that destination of heaven, that new Jerusalem, that city that we're trying to get to. Listen to Daniel chapter 12, starting at verse 1. He says, and at that time, we know what that time he's talking about is, the time of the end, the time of judgment. At that time shall Michael, that's the archangel, shall stand up the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble. I wonder what that time is talking about. You know, people believe that we're in the tribulation right now, the great tribulation right now. People believe that because of what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, that this is the end times. And they're, they're caught, every time there's a world event, this is it, this is now. It could be. But those of us who know that the work is not to be political, the work is not to worry about what's going to happen. We have no control over what's going on there. We pray for the people of Ukraine. And by God, pray for the people of Russia as well. Pray for the people of Poland and the people of Hungary and all of those areas that are a threat of this onslaught that's happening. The people, the citizens of Russia, don't want any part of all of this stuff. They're being arrested for protesting. My dear sweet friend, Vitaly Kiesel, the, the, the missionary that comes here, that wonderful man and his darling family, texted me the other day. So worried and so concerned, he had no idea how we were receiving this propaganda and all of this information coming. And that poor guy sent me a text about this long, pleading with me, Pastor, this isn't our war. We don't want anything to do. He's Russian. He's Russian and his wife is, is Belarusian. She's from Belarus. And the poor guy was broken. He was so worried that Abundant Life was going to blame this on him and his people. I wrote him back and I said, oh, dear brother Vitaly, we love you. We're praying for you guys. We know the story. We know the evil that's being perpetrated out there. We, this has nothing to do with you and your citizenry. Pray for those people. Poor fella, he's such a dear, sweet man. Uh, and he was so thankful. He wrote me another text this long. Oh, thank you, Pastor. We love you so much. They're feeding people that are starving to death. They're getting Bibles printed into the hands of people that don't even know there's a God. They're risking their lives. The KGB is on that guy's tail all the time. And he's worried that we think that they're responsible for this war. What a sweet, innocent man. He knows the truth now, though. The great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was, 
since there was a nation even to the same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered. Thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found in the book of life, written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Now listen to the terms here. They'll awake. What does it say in Corinthians? The dead in Christ shall rise first, and they that are alive and remain shall meet him in the air. He says, some will awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Their names were not written in the book of life. Revelation chapter 21 and 27 says, and there shall in no wise enter into it. The reference here in Revelation 21 is New Jerusalem, the new city, the holy city. So in other words, there will no in, in no wise enter into the new Jerusalem anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, there is no sin that will ever enter into the holy city. New Jerusalem will not allow in sin. It will not happen. And so there are many, if I dare say, and I'll go further in support that, yes, they call on Jesus. Yes, they, they do things in the name of the Lord. But as Jesus said, he doesn't know them. In other words, there's sin that still remains. You understand? And so their names can never be written in the book. It's not going to be written in the book. And therefore, when the time comes, there's going to be trouble for them. No sin will ever enter the kingdom of heaven. And if your name is written... It's because your sin has been taken care of. Does that mean you stop sinning? Nope. We all sin. We're flesh. And until we're not flesh anymore, we'll still make those mistakes and we'll sin. Well, how do we, how do we justify those two points? How do we ensure that our name is written in the book of life? Let's go forward. Revelation chapter 3 and 5, and I'll have you jump to 18. It says, he that overcometh. Okay, remember those key words I was talking about before? Remember, go back to that. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. And so here we go. There's some qualifiers. There's some clues. There's some pieces. You're an overcomer, and you have white raiment on. And I will not blot your name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Verse 18 says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. Now listen to what it says. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. In other words, your sin is covered. Mira said you can't get into the kingdom with sin. It won't be allowed. There's no sin in New Jerusalem. It, it won't happen. So clearly, through white raiment, your sin is covered. Now, I need you to understand that when the Bible talks about white linen, linen is a symbol of purification. It's pure. It's without wool. The priests that would go into the tabernacle... Okay, they had that church that they traveled with throughout the desert after they got out of Egypt. Remember that? And so these priests were given instructions to go through this process in the tabernacle to atone for the sins of the people. The priest had two sets of clothes. One were a gold uh, a gown that he wore or a gold set of robes, and one was white linen that was used once a year so that he could enter into the Holy of Holies pure and sinless. Now, there's a whole lot more that I could get into that, and we'll do, a, we'll do a, a tabernacle study sometime again soon. But what you need to understand is that white linen is pure. It's without sin. 
those priests were required to bathe in a giant brass bathtub, if you want to call it that, to wash the blood off of their hands where they sacrificed the animal. They were required to be pure and cleansed and washed, and then they put on their white linens, their white raiment, okay? In Revelation 4, 4 is a scene in the throne room of heaven. It says, I saw four and 20 elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. White raiment. Are you following now? We're, we're following down. Now look at Revelation 6 and 11. It says, and white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. White robes. So how did they get washed? How do those robes remain white? How does it cover our sin? Well, clearly, there's an answer. And the answer is the blood of the lamb. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In Revelation 19, starting at verse 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the lamb is come, and his wife have made herself ready. We need to understand that in God's terminology, in God's analogy, he is the bridegroom. It's clearly identified throughout Scripture. Jesus spoke parables of it continuously, using the marriage as an example. The church is the bride. The bride was required to keep herself pure. As she waited for the bridegroom to come in the Jewish ceremony, she had to keep herself pure. Guess what she was wearing? You guys are good. White. Arrayed, it says, his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Now listen to what it says. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. That's you. When we are righteous, when we have followed God's plan, when we have bathed in the blood of the lamb, that sounds gross, but you'll see it in a minute. When we've bathed in the blood of the lamb, we have taken on that washing. We have made our linens white. We have become righteous in God's eyes. Now, underneath that covering, we're still flesh. We're still people. We're still sinning. We're still making mistakes. We're still taking steps forward, Brother Matson, but a couple back once in a while, right? But we're still taking those steps forward. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. Anything we can do to remain righteous is worthless. But that covering, that white linen covering that we get from this plan keeps that righteousness and keeps our name written in the book of life. In Revelation chapter 7, boy, we're spending a lot of time in the revelatory part. In Revelation 7 and 9, it says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. You know that palms is a throwback to the time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they waved the palms. You know, the palms represented authority. And so there they stood in purity in their white robes, waving the palms of authority, hearkening to the king. It was an honor to the king. Verse 13, if you jump down there, it says, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? Where'd they come from? In verse 14, he says, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Who are they? Why are they standing here in white robes? They're the ones that came through 
great tribulation. Now, I want to be careful. It does not say the great tribulation. There's a lot more to that, and it gets deep. But just know that they came through great tribulation and washed their robes. Remember, I talked about the priests. So there's a washing aspect, and they made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So how do you justify the idea between blood? If you, if you soaked in blood, you'd be red and not white. If you remember, they stuck a, steer, a spear in Jesus' side on the cross, and what came out? Water and blood. See, that representation is, is that after, the, after grace, the law was fulfilled by Jesus, and he died on the cross in grace. There was no more hacking up animals and blood flowing all over the temples and all over the place to remit or to hold our sin or to push it forward. There's a water now that represents that blood, but it's, it's a certain way. Revelation 1 and 5 says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and did what? And washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now here's a neat little section here. Let's go back to 3 and 5. Revelation 3 and 5. He that overcometh Overcometh, remember, we're going back to that word. He that overcometh shall be clothed in white raiment, and will, I will not blot his name out of the book of life. We've got that. But I will confess his name before the Father and before his angels. That term overcometh is a key right there, because what does it tell us in Revelation chapter 12? We're talking about battling the enemy, battling the devil. In verse 11, it says, and they overcame him. How? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. So overcoming is that key part. How? By the blood of the lamb. Are you starting to put all these pieces together? The blood of the lamb written in the book of life, the white raiment, it's all one plan. And I'm closing right now. John chapter 3 and 5, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, he's talking to Nicodemus, the Jewish ruler. I know a lot of you know this passage. He's talking to a Jewish ruler named Nicodemus who came to him by night secretly to ask him questions about salvation. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of what? Of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus goes on to argument and says, how can a man be born again when he's old? He can't go back into his mother's womb. And Jesus repeats himself, except you be born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Simply saying it or acknowledging it or reading about it is not partaking in, in, in being born again of the water and of the spirit. How do we know that? We know because there's a washing of the blood, a washing of the lamb's blood, we know that that's not done by simply acknowledgement. Let's move on. Luke 24 and 47 says, and that repentance and remission, Jesus says, of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. There has to be a remission of sin. You cannot remit sin, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood. It does not happen. And you don't simply partake in that simply by acknowledging or saying, yes, I read about that. I now understand that and I accept that as part of my uh, lifestyle. Because Jesus said in Mark 16 and 15, he said, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What does he say in 16? He that believeth, that's the first part, that's critical. I believe, I accept. Yes, Jesus, your word is true. Yes, I believe what you're saying. But he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. I've said before, in sentence structure, you can clearly say, he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. 
The sentence doesn't change, the meaning of the scripture doesn't change if you fulfill both the subject and the predicate in both parts of the sentence. Any English majors with me on this? Everybody's looking at me like, noun, verb. And these signs shall follow them that believe, in my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. You can stand. I have just walked you through the process of establishing what the book of life is. The level of importance it is to have your name written in the book of life. How your name gets written in the book of life and how it stays there. There is a process. There are works of righteousness, but there are works of obedience. The washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, Titus said in chapter three. Folks, if you've never understood, if the, if the concept of the book of life has been escaping you, if you're not sure how to convey it and understand, this was it, this is today. You see, the only way that our names are written into the book of life is by being an overcomer and by washing our robes. It's very clearly identified there. If you're not an overcomer, if you haven't been washed, your robes are not white, you don't enter into the kingdom of heaven, and as it said, your name is not written in the book of life. We keep a baptismal over here running full time. It's very warm and very comfortable. We have a room right there that's got robes and towels and coverings and all of those things. Why? For the purpose of this, because there will be people that have that revelation that understand, yes, I have believed Christ. Yes, I do call myself a Christian. Yes, I have done things in his name. There will be those people who've declared that step. Those are great steps. Those are first important steps into the world of faith and believing. We don't mock that. We don't take it away from anybody. But what I'm saying to you is that the word of God is clear. I said at the beginning, every word from the beginning of the book between both black covers is significantly important for us to obey. And if that's true, I just read to you the direction that says we must be baptized in Jesus' name because that's whose blood it is that we're washing ourselves in. After all the disciples had gone through their training and ministry and all of that and Jesus was crucified, that scripture I, I read to you in Luke 47, that when Jesus said, go into the world, he was already dead. He returned to them in the form of the Spirit. He, he appeared to them before he finally ascended to heaven. And he said, this is what you do. Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in my name in all of the world. Remission of sins cannot happen by a verbal acknowledgement or an idea in your head. Your robes have to be washed. They have to be washed. Why is it such a big deal? Why is the world coming against this? Oh, it's not necessary anymore. Oh, that's not, that's old time stuff. That doesn't matter anymore. I used to think this. I used to think that modern day churches, it was just inconvenient. They didn't want to run a baptismal. Soaks up a lot of electricity running that heater in there. I used to think, well, their traditions change. They just want to get people clumped up together and don't want any extra, extra effort have to be made. Extra effort? We're talking about eternal souls. We're talking about what happens to you for the rest of all eternity. I used to think that that was what it all was, that it all broke up because we just want to clump everybody together, make it a club and a country club and just turn your money in. Peter said it in the, in the epistles at the end of the book. He said they'll, they'll heap together 
men making merchandise of them. In other words, they're just build these big, massive churches. Just say, come in and say Jesus and you're a Christian. By the way, put your money in the offering. That's what he's talking about. But then I got into the depth of this thing and, and, and it just wretched me. Because what I realized is there's a spirit of the world that's wanting to chip away at this doctrine, wanting to take away little pieces here and there, wanting to make it convenient for us. Well, that's weird, pastor, that's odd. People don't want to do that. I don't want to go in your swimming pool when we're talking about eternity. Brother, I jump in that thing once a day for the rest of my life, if that's what God called for. But I want to tell you this morning, if you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, if you do not truly understand what it is, we can take a few minutes and talk to you about the depths of it. But after Jesus was gone, an amazing, miraculous thing happened in the city of Jerusalem. That's God's central city, right? There's the big temple there, Sister Missy. And, and so Jesus told him to go there and wait for this miraculous event to happen. I'm coming back in the form of the comforter, he said. There's going to be something real big that happens there. And when it did happen, when he returned in the form of the Holy Ghost, it exploded in the upper room of the temple in Jerusalem. People were blown away. They were weirded out all over the place. There were Jews in Jerusalem everywhere because it was a very special feast day that they were required to pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. It was called the Day of Pentecost. A lot of people in this room already know what I'm talking about. But there's a part there where the people are looking at this group and saying, are you drunk? Literally, are you drunk? What in the world's going on? They're speaking in another language that God gave them through this amazing event. And all this strange stuff is happening. And Peter, the one that denied Christ, the brutish, goofy Peter who denied him three times. But Peter, the one that was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 16, stands up and he fulfills, he, said, he doesn't say it this way, but essentially what he says is, hey, I've got the way that your name can be written in the book of life. And he starts preaching to them and telling them about how they crucified the son of the living God. The Bible says they're pricked in their hearts, they're guilty of sin. You know that before this happens for all of you, you're guilty of sin, you're guilty of the death of Christ. Do you know that? You weren't there, but he still died for you. And so when they're feeling guilty, they say this wonderful, magical thing that's one of my favorite places in the whole Bible. They look at the disciples and say, men and brethren, what do we do? What shall I do to be saved? And Peter, knowing the word, knowing the teaching of Jesus, knowing what the answer was to get his name written in the book of life, simply says this. Now hear me, folks. Come on, let this thing sink into your heart. Listen to what pastor's saying. It's right out of Scripture in Acts chapter 2. After they've mocked him and after they've questioned him, after they feel pricked in their hearts, he, they say, what should we do? Peter stands up and he says, repent. Say you're sorry. Repent for the sins that you just committed. That's between you and God. And be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ. For what? For the remission of your sins. Now, you're my students here today. What does remission of sins get you? A white robe, exactly. How do we get our white robe? Blood of the Lamb. This is the plan. This is what he wants. 
if you are not baptized in Jesus' name and you understand what I'm saying, God is touching you in your heart right now. He's speaking to you and you're saying, I want my name written in the book of life. I want my name written there and it ain't never going to get blotted out, Pastor. I want it written there. I want to tell you right now, we've got a robe for you. We've got a towel for you. We've got a way for you this moment, this day, right now to get in that line and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And from now to the end of time, as long as you keep making this motion and not turning around going the other way, your sins will continue to be covered under that white robe. In Jesus' name. This altar is open this morning. Thank you. I've had you standing for a while. God just keeps driving me and driving me. But I needed to send this home. I needed to understand. If you have not been baptized, we will baptize you today. If you are ready. If you need to know more, we can talk to you about how to do that. But this altar is open. Come and pray. Now, for all of you that have done this process already, ingrain this in your heart and your mind. And go out there and teach it and show it, and deliver it, and minister it. In Jesus' name, this altar's open. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.